and welcome to the fifth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. Scene to Song now has a Patreon, and I've already released bonus material from the last episode there. Thank you to those who have already supported Scene to Song. My guest today is Mark Elliott Stein. Mark is a writer, website developer, and podcaster. He has been running one of the oldest literary blogs in the world, Literary Kicks, since 1994, and currently works as technology director for World Beyond War. We're going to talk today about the John O'Hara, Lorenz Hart, and Richard Rogers musical, Pal Joey. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Shoshana. Great to be here. Well, we will go right into the get to know our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical? Okay, it was an unforgettable one. I was about 10 years old, and my mother had a copy of Man of La Mancha around the house. And I'm patting myself on the back because as a 10-year-old living on Long Island, I had the wherewithal to say one day, she, I think she asked me what I wanted to do for my birthday. And I said, take us to see Man of La Mancha. It was playing, this was the early 70s. It was playing on Broadway. Um, and, you know, if you think about, I think it was unforgettable because I had no concept of what a Broadway musical was. And I knew the music so well from the album. I love that album. And I do think that is a great show. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was, that was a good start. It, it, it hasn't always maintained that greatness, but it's, <laughs> that was a great start for me. What is the last great musical you saw? Okay. Great is a, is going to be, me being a little generous, it's been a long time since I've seen a musical, I would say great, but the Bob Dylan musical, um, Girl from the North Country, it was the only musical on Broadway I've been to since COVID. I was out of, you know, out of practice going to musicals and we had great seats. I thought Mayor Winningham was amazing. I mean, I, I love Bob Dylan. I'm not going to say it was necessarily everything I wanted it to be, but it worked and they, they, they made it work and that's cool. What's a musical that people would be surprised to find out you love and why would they be surprised? Okay. Um, I mean, since I'm sort of an eclectic weirdo, nobody would be surprised about anything, but there was a funny story. I, w I was working with a woman from Iowa um, and I said to her, wow, you live, you live in the state of the music man, which I think is one of my top three musicals. I mean, along with pal Joey, um, I don't know what the third one would be, but the music man, love it, love it. Um, and I do think it's kind of corny. It's kind of, you know, a, a broad comedy. But the funny thing is when I told this woman who was from Iowa, she goes, the music man. Um, and she goes, I said, yeah, don't you know it? She goes, I saw it on TV. And I'm like, no, no, it's a musical. You don't <laughs> see it. Like, like the, you got to see it in a theater. <laughs> you know, I thought everyone in Iowa would know because obviously it's very much about Iowa. I think one yeah. of the things that's so great about the music man is that it, captures meredith wilson is from iowa and he it's a tribute to iowa so yeah. every kid in iowa should have to see the music man. <laughs> but that is the one because she was really surprised she was like why do, why do you like a corny old you know 
cornball show like that. Like, no. <laughs> no, it's funny. Um, one time, like years ago, a coworker of mine, I guess was going, I forget, was going home for a holiday or vacation or whatever. And I was like, oh, where are you going? And she said, oh, it's this town nobody's heard of. It's called Rock Island. Uh, <laughs> Rock Island Line. Yes, yes. It's like Rock Island. Yes, such a great song. Yeah, obviously not a musical theater person, but I was That's like, so oh, funny. you'd be surprised how many people know about Rock Island. <laughs> what uh, older or classic show did you recently see for the first time? And what was your experience with it? Okay. Well, like I said, I haven't been to that many shows since, since COVID. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I am obsessed with opera. That's a relatively recent thing. And I do believe opera is musical theater. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, you know, as you know, I run a opera podcast, which like yours, and I think is what you and I maybe have in common is it, has, it focuses on the literary side of opera. And mm -hmm. I love that in your podcast, you say, you know, focusing on the literary side of musicals, which is exactly what I think is fascinating to talk about. Um, so I've been delving into opera. Um, I've also been delving into Gilbert and Sullivan opera. So when we say recent, I will say that I appeared, and this was very strange for me, um, never did it before. I appeared in the chorus of the Mikado, a Long Island based version of the Mikado with, it was a small production. Um, this was just me, you know, doing something I've never done before. Through doing that, I learned so much about the opera and how sophisticated it is. And, mm -hmm. you know, learned so much about the music that I never would have known. Yeah, there's something about performing something where you really, it's just such a different uh, experience from like just listening or watching something for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. What is your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? Okay, well, it's a musical I never saw. Um, Conversation Piece by Noel Coward. Now, I think Noel Coward is an un, un, um, unrecognized genius. You know, I mean, he was certainly recognized in his own time, but his songs were so good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as I think you'll tell from talking to me, I ha I'm a very music-centric musical theater person. It's the songs is what it's about for me. And mm -hmm. you know, I think what made it unique is that it was a British musical um, taking place in France. And I believe Noel Coward was the star. Mm -hmm. And supposedly they, they all had the most horrible French accents. And there's a <laughs> recording of it. And I just love this recording. I dream of it someday being revived. But, you know, mm -hmm. Noel, Noel Coward's plays get revived. But do his musicals? No. Yeah, I'm don't usually see them it's usually like you know a revival of private lives or something <laughs> right and i would say as as good as that was his his greater genius i really believe was as a songwriter and a singer what a singer i mean he was he performed his own music often what is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to all right. Um, this actually reminds me what my third favorite musical is. You know, one of them is Pal Joey. One of them is The Music Man. And the third is Godspell. Mm -hmm. um, I, I saw Godspell when I was about 12 years old with my sister in a movie theater. Um, and it just blew my mind. And, um, you know, it's a different kind of musical theater. It's more rock. It's more folk, kind of jangly 60s folk. Um, but... I would say that the beginning of Godspell um, is people coming together, people who don't know each other. There's chaos and then they're coming together 
and they all come together and sing. And that just produces to me like a near spiritual sense of ecstasy, you know, and like, that's what it's about. So they sure delivered what they were supposed to deliver there, you know, in a, in a musical about, about religion. Um, it felt very, it just feels very spiritual to me. Let's uh, get into your, one of your favorite musicals, Pal Joey. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, I guess I like to, when we talk about a musical, I like to start with like our histories with the show and, and also, you know, why, why you're, you're, uh, you decided to talk about this musical. Great. Well, I should say I'm a fan of your podcast. And the very first time I heard that there was a musical theater podcast with a literary focus, very first thing I did is browse your episodes. Like, where's the episode on Pal Joey? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's based on stories by a short story writer, John O'Hara, who who conceived it and wrote the book and he he made it happen. Um, so it definitely is a literary work. And um, so I definitely feel that probably my two twin obsessions are literature and music. And so that's why, you know, it's funny, like Noel Coward. And I think, you know, John O'Hara is also from the first half of the 20th century or the, and the second, I guess both halves, but um, he also is very much forgotten today. He was a um, super successful, super famous novelist and short story writer who published most often in the New Yorker. I mean, he was a contemporary of like, F. Scott Fitzgerald to I'm actually I'm not I'm not quite sure if, if he goes back to early Fitzgerald but later Fitzgerald J. D. Salinger these were all magazine writers they wrote magazine stories for and the New Yorker was the best place to publish and Pal Joey started as a bunch of sketches mm -hmm. in the New Yorker I'm sort of going right into like rather than my own encounter with it but I'd love to mention my own encounter after but what what I want to say about this is that. Um, it's often said that it's based on Pal Joey is based on a novel called Pal Joey, but mm -hmm. I think that is one of the reasons why people misunderstand it because it's really not a novel. It's a bunch of very light, humorous sketches mm -hmm. which were collected into a book called Pal Joey, um, but they're not even really short stories. And I will, I do want to say John O'Hara was a masterful short story writer. Um, I want to recommend a book called The Cape Cod Lighter which is one of his very later books, but um, it's the name of a boat, apparently. Um, but he wrote, he wrote very much about um, suburban, white, married life in the 20th century. And this is the territory later that John Updike would cover and Joyce Carol Oates and Philip Roth um, and John Cheever, you know, and I say suburban because he was considered sort of, he was, he was, explaining how life was changing during the 20th century by talking about the problems we, people were having. His novels were wickedly um, controversial. You know, he talked about sex. It, he, was, he was often, um, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say banned necessarily, but his books were considered smutty by mm -hmm. many, you know. And um, so I also would recommend Appointment in Samara, um, it's just his first novel. And most of them are about are about people who are middle class and wish to be wealthy and wish to be accepted into the country club and have too many martinis and sleep with the wrong woman. So, you know, these are the types of things, but it but I'm not sure if I'm making it sound great, but he was 
really a very witty writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Pal Joey is from the lightest of material. That, that he was actually not doing his usual thing here. He wasn't writing about middle-aged married couples. Um, he was writing about a young nightclub dancer in Chicago. And the whole idea of the Pal Joey stories was the language, the dialect, the slang. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so think about how J.D. Salinger, who was also publishing in the New Yorker, you know, he, he's so famous for his his voice, the the slang, the and this is what Pal Joey was. And this was not what John O'Hara was famous for. So this was him sort of even could even say he was going into the territory of, you know, comic comic dialect writing. And the dialect was of, uh, you know, a, a young, not that bright kid or young adult, you know, mm-hmm. I, I guess he's in his, I think a young man, though, um, who's trying to break into show business in Chicago and is kind of a jerk, you know, and he and he's very confident with women and he seduces a lot of women, but he really doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and so in terms of my own encounter with it, it was because I was a, a reader of John O'Hara that I was aware of it. So I saw the movie with Frank Sinatra. I thought it was terrible. It's really not a good movie. Um, I think Frank Sinatra is not Joey. Um, you know, Frank Sinatra is much smarter than Joey. Um, you know, I would, I, w- I would actually think an example of somebody who could play Joey would be like Welcome Back, Cotter, Era, John Travolta. Hmm. You know, like just kind, of yeah. a, kind of like a big, you know, big, like confident dummy, you know, mm-hmm. um, and very urban. So um, anyway, I was not interested in it, but because I was in a phase of reading John O'Hara, I actually just cold bought this, the cast album, which is something I never do because the show is very rarely revived. You're you're really not likely to catch a revival of it. Um, And so I bought the cast album. This was the 1950s cast album, 1950 cast album. um, And it just killed me. Such a great album. So Mm -hmm. like killer songs start to finish. um, But I was unable to find the play. And I knew that the movie was very different from the, or the, from the musical. The movie had a lot of different songs. They really tore up the plot. They cleaned it up. I eventually got to see a production with Christina Andreas as Vera Simpson um, in Philadelphia. And then I got to see the really good revival with Stockard Channing Mm -hmm. um, in 2008. And the thing is, both of these were totally rewritten books, both of them. And so this got me really fascinated. So I am telling you right now, I don't know what Pal Joey is. I don't know. what it was that premiered with Gene Kelly as the star, because there's never been a revival that didn't rewrite the book. And right. even though it's, so here's the enigma of Pal Joey. It's such an enigma. Um, it was a hit, but it wasn't popular. It didn't win Rogers. Oh, I should mention Rogers and Hart, of course, are, are the authors. So right. this was one of the last works of Richard Rogers before he began working with Hammer, Hammerstein. Yeah, so this um, was in uh, this was in 1940, and, yeah. and then Oklahoma was in 1943. So yeah, right. like very very quick turnaround in in musical theater world where musicals take a while to write. <laughs> yes, and you know Lorenz Hart was a tragic story. He certainly saw himself in Joey, the eternal loser. You know, the gifted, mm-hmm. the musically gifted loser. Um, Lorenz Hart 
died shortly after. He had a very troubled life. Yeah. Um, and he was actually offered the chance to write Oklahoma. And um, Hammerstein was just going to write the book. So Rogers would do the music, Hart would do the, the lyrics, and Hammerstein would write the book. And um, Hart, being very much an urban kind of New York City guy, was like, no, I can't write it. I can't write songs. And then he, and then he died not long after. I think, I think that it's because it's an enigma that I was so eager to see an episode of your podcast about it because I've, I, I've been waiting my entire life to fully understand Pal Joey, and I don't. And all I know is I've seen two two rewritten versions, a terrible movie, and and listened to about three different cast albums, all of which are great. <laughs> so that's that's yeah. my experience. Well, you have become what you want to see in the world. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing the podcast on Pal Joey. Yeah, because yeah, it hasn't it really has not come up. I I saw so my experience with Pal Joey is that I knew Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered before I knew the song, mm -hmm. before I knew the show that it came from. I had, I don't know where I first heard that song. Yeah. It was just a song that was around. And I, it was always a popular song. Yeah. A, so yeah. I remember, like, I knew that song. And then that 2008 Roundabout Theater Company revival is what I saw the first time I saw it. Um, the, the only time I saw it. What was your experience there yeah i mean it's so i've been re-watching it uh because it's on youtube <laughs> um and it's been on youtube for a while because it's it it was apparently uploaded in 2011 so it's been sitting on youtube for a while now i remember the songs more than mm -hmm. like being that involved with the story and the yeah. character yes. like the i could write a book is that the that's the title mm -hmm. Yeah. That song, very memorable. Um, Martha Plimpton doing Zip. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was so great in that. Yeah. And that's just, that's a great song. And that was the first time I'd heard that song. Um, so I think for me, it was, yeah, it was more like the songs. And, and finally seeing a context for Bewitched Father than Bewildered. <laughs> and by the way, Zip, doesn't that really show what a genius Lorenz Hart was? Oh, my gosh. It's I mean, yeah, that's probably his crowning song, you yeah. know, I, I, or maybe a love song is, but you know, <laughs> of... yeah, no, it's, it's really like a tour de force. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, because you have this really funny situation. What does a stripper think about when right thing? Actually, she thinks about all these intellectual things, but and so you have like this funny premise that actually delivers with funny lines also. Yes. Mm -hmm. I said, Miss Lee, you are such an artist. Tell me why you never miss. What do you think of while you work? And she said, while I work, my thoughts go something like this. Zip. Walter Lippmann wasn't brilliant today. Will Saroya never write a great play? Zip. I was reading Schopenhauer last night. Zip. And I think that Schopenhauer was 
right. I don't want to see Zarina. I don't want to meet Cabina. I'm an intellectual. And of course, that woman, you know, that the singer is talking about when she interviewed Gypsy Rose Lee. Right. So this is the first. This is before Gypsy. Right. Right. You know, this is the first appearance of Gypsy in a in a musical. Right. Gypsy Rose Lee just really is so many places in musicals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, that's cool. I mean, so I totally agree with you that it doesn't really work as a drama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the way I put it, my mother's rubric for any Broadway musical or play is, is it going to make her cry? If it makes <laughs> her cry, she loves it. Uh-huh. Um, Pal Joey is not going to make you cry. There's uh-huh. no there's no make you cry part. And and that's because I mean, to you know, to briefly recount the story, Joey blows into town Chicago he gets a job in a nightclub as a dancer and singer and MC and um immediately picks up a young innocent woman named Linda English who to whom he sings I could write a book or that's a duet actually they sing that together if they asked me I could write a book about the way you and whisper and look I could write a preface on how we met so the world would never forget Um, and that's his nice girlfriend and then he also the, the star of the show, I think, is not actually Joey, but the woman, um, Vera Simpson, played by Stockard Channing, played by um, Patti Lapone in an earlier revival. I really think, you know, I'm curious if you agree that even though it's called Pal Joey, I think the star is often the woman who's going to sing Bewitched. Yeah, that's um, interesting. And I think it would be, it would be really interesting to see that show if it had been written with her as the actual protagonist yeah Mm -hmm. i mean the story is that she's an older woman she's kind of the classic cougar really and very wealthy um she and her husband both have an understanding that they both do whatever they want and they're both sort of very spoiled wealthy people so you know joey's a, a joey's a broke guy just trying to get by so he's very envious of these wealthy people so he picks her up he's very rude to her um they really have a complex emotional interchange Mm -hmm. and stalker channing just constantly gets the better of him i mean you kind of get the idea like he's barely worth playing with for her because she's so much smarter than him (laughs) but but he she's in love with him because he's good looking and apparently, you know, I think it's interesting that he's a dancer. You know, I think he's very physical. He's supposed to be like, he can, he, he, women just fall in love with him. And um, that's kind of the whole, the whole thing. So in the end, um, he gets Vera to fund his, his own nightclub, Shay Joey, Mm -hmm. but being a sort of, um, you know, being an internal loser, really, which is what you get in the stories as well, he he blows the whole thing because she finds out about Linda English, um, who he is kind of actually in love with. Um, 
But I think so much more of the romantic chemistry is between um, Joey and Vera. You know, even though Linda English maybe is the one where his heart is really there, they don't have that much time on stage together. Um, but yeah. I think it's really all about Vera and, and Joey. And yeah, I think it's complex. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's like Sondheim level. It's, mm-hmm. I would say it's Sondheim level. But in the end, she just dumps him. And um, that's why it doesn't have that emotional, um, you know, I, th- I think, and John O'Hara, being, being a John O'Hara book, um, he, didn't, he didn't go for the big, the, the big emotional endings. He was more of a satirical, sort of sarcastic chronicler of life. Yeah. So I don't think sarcastic chronicles of life are necessarily what Broadway audiences want. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's so hard when you have like the quote unquote unlikable uh, anti-hero character right. as right. your, you know, you as your protagonist. And, you know, especially in the production that I saw, the Re- Re- Roundabout Revival, he was, there was, for me at least, there was nothing <clears throat> about him that, that I felt like I could latch onto and like root for him because he was, yeah he was um you i mean he had the he had this want you know he wants to open a nightclub but you never really saw how like i feel like i never really emotionally felt that he was so the only way he could do this was to like latch on to sarah and like get that you know you i feel like you at least i want to feel that he has he has something to overcome to get yes right yeah, I mean, in a way, I know the classic question is, where's the I want song? He doesn't mm-hmm. really have a big I want, does he? I yeah. mean, he wants his own nightclub, but yeah, but he doesn't want it enough to do anything right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or like, or like he doesn't even try to, I feel like I never see, saw him really try to get it the right way. <laughs> yeah, so. right. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny. He he is a hard worker, though, because one of the songs is do it the hard way. Like he doesn't quit. He works 24 seven. Right. You know, he always shows up on time, but he doesn't he doesn't win. Yeah. And maybe I don't need to see him try to do it the right way or just at least understand why the right way is not going to work for him. You know, (laughs) you mean romantically, like how to how to talk to a woman without being a jerk, that kind of thing. Or just like not have to use other women in order to get (laughs) to get a nightclub. Right, right. And I do want to say like she is very likable. So I don't think the likable thing holds up that much because she's very likable. Linda is very likable. Um, Gladys Bump, you know, who plays who sings Zip in this. By the way, in the early, I I want to mention again because the books are rewritten. Um, Martha Plimpton played Gladys Bump and sang Zip. That never happened in Pal Joey before. Zip right, I read that. Yeah. 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 And uh, we, so you and I never saw, you and I never saw the real Pal Joey. We <laughs> saw the rewritten book by Richard Greenberg, um, which was good. But so, but anyway, um, you know, she, she's likable, even though in this, in this rewritten version, they sort of made her into a villain. Um I want to mention another theory I have why it's not that popular is it's not clean enough to be played in high school. Mm. And so much of being a classic Broadway musical is to get played in high school. You cannot play Pal Joey in high school. It's just too much sex and too much. Like, why do you think 
it it's never really it's never been the hit that its fans think it should be (laughs) yeah i mean that i mean that is a good point about high schools i mean i think rogers and hart uh, most of their shows i didn't know until much later in life right like i think a lot of their shows aren't really done or aren't super popular and that's and that's a pity because their music was like aces. Mm-hmm. I mean, there I listen. By the way, I'm I'm more obsessed with Rodgers and Hart, Cole Porter, and Gershwin than I am with like Sondheim and Fosse. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm my heart is in the 30s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Rodgers and Hart. By the way, one reason they also weren't greatly served by movies that most of their movies star Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. Mm-hmm. So when you think of a classic Judy Garland Mickey Rooney musical. That's actually like likely to be a Rogers and Hart. However, right. even though Judy Garland is great, I really don't think Mickey Rooney is a Rogers and Hart leading tenor. No, mm-hmm. um, and I, it just doesn't. I feel like just like Frank Sinatra, they got the wrong wrong male lead. Yeah, I mean, this one seems to be of of the very few Rogers and Hart musicals I've seen, mostly at uh, City Center encores in New York. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> This one seems to be the most like sophisticated and yes. like close, like closer to more of like the book musical that R- Rogers would then go on to write with Oscar Hammerstein, like more right. like right. closer yep. to what we more consider like a book, you know, mm-hmm. of, you know, the Rogers and Hammerstein era. I definitely but- agree obviously Rogers and Hart were writing book musicals. They, I feel like they just were a little more like kind of a combo of like, a, like putting on a show and a story. Yeah. And I, I give credit to John O'Hara for that. I mean, again, he did conceive it. He had to push it. He, he went to Rogers and Hart and said, please write this musical for me. Mm. Um, and they did. So, you know, maybe that's why. I do want to mention another interesting fact. Bob Fosse was obsessed with, with Pal Joey. He was originally an understudy to play Pal Joey. So, you know, and he's always played by a dancer. That's one of the things is you have to be a good dancer, which obviously right. Bob Fosse was. Um, and and I, I should also mention Bob Fosse played, played Joey um, in a special run. It wasn't like a traditional Broadway run. I believe it was only a, because Bob Fosse is more of a choreographer and director, I think, than a performer. Um, but this was, I think, the peak of his performing career was to play Joey. Um, unfortunately, there's no record of it. Two of his later works were Damn Yankees and The Pajama Game. So in Pal Joey, there's this number, Our Little Den of Iniquity, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, it's a small song, but it's basically Vera and Joey lounging around. Now, again, she's really rich. So she bought a little pad for him, you know or for them together, it's their little love nest. She doesn't live there. Um, She lives in a fancy apartment on Lakeshore Drive, but they've got this little love nest um, and they sing a song about having a little love nest Mm -hmm. where they hide away. And um, I love the song, Our Little Den of Iniquity. It's never, it's not the kind of number you would ever like hear on the radio or anything. It's, you know, it's just (laughs) sort of a narrative song. In our little den of iniquity for a girly and boy We'll sit and let the hours pass A canopy bed has so much glass And so's a ceiling made of glass Oh, 
joy Love has been that way Since antiquity down to you and to me The radio I used to hate Now when it is dark and late Tchaikovsky's 1812 sounds great That's for me In Damn Yankees, there's the song Two Lost Souls, which, and this is now a Bob Fosse, and I really think like this is his In Our Little Den of Iniquity to, you know, again, it's like, we are two lost souls together. It's that yeah. sort of, and then in um, The Pajama Game, Hernando's Hideaway, mm. which is another Bob Fosse. And so whenever I see this, I think I, I just feel like I'm reading Bob Fosse's mind and he's like, I'm doing my little In Our Little Den of Iniquity here. <laughs> I can totally see that. Yeah. And I I also love the lyrics in Little Den of Iniquity. That's like another cool. um, where I think, you know, just little zingers and little like clever rhymes, you know, from. Heart. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's one part speaking about why you would never play this in high school. There's one part where it's basically insinuating that she never liked classical music much, but um, Ravel's Bolero works great. And so what it really means is that they're having very loud sex, <laughs> right? I mean, and they're playing yeah. Ravel's Bolero. And by the way, it's very funny that in the version we saw with Stocker Channing, they change it to Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. Oh, um, right. But either way, it's like a very loud song. And yeah. like, yeah, that's that's the kind of innuendo, you know, that, that right. means you can never play it in high school. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm glad you I'm glad you noticed that song because I do think when I say I love the cast album, it's not always the big songs; it's the little songs. Another one is "Take Him," a mm -hmm. duet with the two women. So you know, I mentioned earlier it's not a musical that sends you away crying. In the end, Vera Simpson and Linda English confront each other and have it out in a song called "Take Him," but they totally like each other. Yeah. And they basically say, take him. And it's it's so funny. They just insult him. The entire song is them insulting him. Mm -hmm. And they're both done with him. You know, they're both saying, you can have him. Take him. I won't put a price on him. Take him. He's yours. Take him. Pajamas look nice on him. But how he snores. Though he is well adjusted. Certain things make him a wreck. Last year his arm was busted, reaching from a check. His thoughts are seldom consecutive, he just can write. I know a movie executive who's twice as bright. And that's another song, it's too narrative to ever be played anywhere. So I don't think anybody would ever know that song. But to me, it's the songs like that, that, and it just surprises me with its constant freshness and sophistication. Yeah, I mean, I guess there is the question, like, is this musical better as a cast album 
then... is that is that allowed to be like what if a broadway musical is actually not a great show but a great album i think there's also the fact that we we like we can listen to cast albums so much more mm-hmm. flexibly in our lives it's a funny thing to think about because i do think it is possible that this is an a plus cast album and a b plus show Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that might be true. I don't know, or or it could be true as as I think we were saying that if an if an actor was as good as Stockard Channing was good, mm-hmm. you know, they could have made that work. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but they'd have to really find Joey. I don't I don't think anybody's ever found Joey. I right? mean, so I love your good. idea of a young John Travolta. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that. I just rewatched the movie Grease recently and so (laughs) like he really can make kind of like a jerky character very endearing like um just with his face like big big smile like (laughs) yes it's definitely a key to understanding joey that he's dumb and that's why frank sinatra was wrong frank sinatra is not dumb nobody will ever believe frank sinatra as a dumb guy he's always the clever guy in the room right right and that and so the the plot made no sense. You know, I think the whole time Vera Simpson is is toying with him. Mm-hmm. She's got him on a string the whole time and he doesn't know what's go- he doesn't even know what's happening to him. And you know, I think that is in the story. You know, again John O'Hara was a wicked writer. He was he was not a writer of nice stories. <laughs> um and he was making fun of Joey. I oh I should also mention I forgot to mention that the stories are written in the form of letters by Joey. Um right, right. and that's actually why it has the title. He signs the letters pal Joey. Your pal Joey. Yeah. yeah. I think he leaves off the your though. I think he just says oh. pal Joey, which you know, that explains the really weird title. Like I don't know but he you know, I don't wouldn't call you Pal Shoshana, you know. Right, right. <laughs> but um, I think that in the stories, what's happening is the character is being made fun of. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, he's charming, he's likable, but yeah. And I, I wonder, you know, too, if the because Pal Joey was from these stories, these sketches, you know, it never really. You would need somebody else to really like to have made it into a like an actual book, like something right. like a more traditional book. Um, you know, the way like something like, I don't know, Annie taken from a comic strip was then made into like a somebody who like took that and like fashioned right. it. Like made a story out of it. Story. Whereas this, whereas pal Joey, there is a story to it. There is, but it, you know, he's got these two women and he wants to, you know, have a nightclub and, you know, but it, there it is lacks, like a sketchy feeling to it. Yeah. I think we could say it lacks peaks and valleys. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how I think Kurt Vonnegut said you can graph a story as like ups and downs on a graph. This would just be a couple of mild curves. It, it never, you know, I mean, I'm thinking, compare it. I mentioned Man of La Mancha as my, mm-hmm. you know, first experience. I'm just remembering how I was sobbing mm-hmm. as a ten-year-old seeing that. I mean, the the peaks and valleys in Man mm-hmm. of La Mancha. This has no peaks and valleys. Yeah. You know, it never heats up. That yeah. none of the love affairs ever heat up. Right. And none of the drama ever heats up. 
and that's sort of the idea. It's sort of a, it's sort of a sarcastic look at love. And <laughs> I mean, and in a way, Kiss Me Kate is sort of similar. I mean, it also has a rakish, irresponsible male lead, right. egotistical, you know, um, sort of similar, but it, it does try to deliver your standard big love story. Yeah. Well, Joey yeah. is a not That's love story. Yeah. It's like playing with the Shakespearean archetypes and like. Yeah. Well, I want to mention two more unknowns about it. Mm-hmm. Um, one is in the end, does he walk off with Linda English? I believe Frank mm-hmm. Sinatra does. I think in the version we saw, he he doesn't quite. You know, in the what do you think in the end? What happens? I don't know. I mean, I. I think I think it could go either way. I mean, whether Linda English will have him is another <laughs> is another yeah. question. But I gotta believe to be true to the story, the answer would have to be no. Yeah. I mean, he's you know he's not trustworthy. He's not. But I wonder. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it doesn't seem like he he like understands that he feels something toward her that's different from every other relationship he's ever right. had. Yes. She, right. Cause she's different from like all the, she's not in show business, you know, she's not like the people he's around or like trying you know, right. to the clubs and trying to manipulate and all that. Um, even though she's a little bit manipulated by him, but not, I don't know. In in the revival that, you know, we saw she really, she really takes agency in that scene and is like, mm-hmm. he's going to leave. I don't know how different this is from previous versions, but he's going to there. He's over her place and he's going to, he like feels uncomfortable with that situation and he's going to leave. And she's like, no, you stay. I'm feeling brave. Like she really takes control of that. Yes, absolutely. Um, I liked what they did with her character there. Yeah. I think we got to believe that was Richard Greenberg's work. The, the re the rewriter of the 2008 version. Yeah even though she kind of is pretty clear-eyed and that seems pretty clear-eyed in that scene, I don't think she really understands the depth of like him uh, and his character until thing as like things get revealed to her over time. Yeah. And, and I guess she pretty much understands it by the end when she sees like how he got the nightclub and what he's doing with Vera and all that. Does she love him or does she just like have this feeling of like this guy who's like kind of a bad boy, but like well, I see, I see the good in him and I want to, you know. He, he reached out to her and I think she's living the isolated life of a single, single young woman in the city mm-hmm. and not that many men, even though she's eligible and pretty and, you know, not that many men reach out to her. And I think like he, he reached out to her and got through. Mm-hmm. I kind of got the feeling that um, she was, she hadn't had that many experiences because she was a rather shy person. Mm-hmm. She's his age, whereas Vera is probably 20, 20 years or 30 years older than him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Vera, yeah. I read that Vera was, um, or Vivian Seal in the original was 40, 43. Which doesn't, mm-hmm. which doesn't even feel that old when you think about Stockard Channing playing the role. I don't know how old she was, but she was definitely older than 43. <laughs> right. And she also, she also had total agency. I mean, both, yeah. both women in this musical have agency, right? 
she, right. she never lets down her agency. I mean, in the end, she dumps Joey. Joey doesn't see it coming. Right. He doesn't know. It's He doesn't know he's about to get dumped. Um, yeah. So Which I guess is the musical ends with Joey, like, having nothing, right? He, well, like, so the one we saw, mm-hmm. it has a, I think it's a kind of cool ending. Linda does sort of reach out to him. Linda, the younger yeah. one who, you know, we're supposed to believe they're actually the one that's a better couple. Right. Um, they could be a real love affair. Um, she basically lets him know if he wants to reach out to her again, she's not going anywhere and there's mm-hmm. nobody else in her life. And then she walks off and then he thinks about running after her. And then he puts his hat on and thinks about catching the train out of town. Mm-hmm. And then he stands there and I think he goes, what the hell am I doing? And right. then the curtain falls. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I thought that was a cool ending, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm I'm quite sure that that ending is just the version we saw the 2008. Mm -hmm. You know, again, it's every version retells the story because none of them are successful enough to, you know, to be revived directly. Right. Right. So then, yeah. And then the question that you pose, like, what what's the next thing that happens? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I would say that whoever wants to do this musical wouldn't do badly to go with the Richard Greenberg book. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what the rules are about buying books. Like if some community theater was going to do it, right. rather than go try to go with some earlier version, I think the Richard Greenberg book was pretty good. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything to compare it to, but <laughs> I think right. like having not seen any other version, but... I mean, it seemed to to all work, and I, I yeah, I don't know how it would be like with the say like you know the the different person the a character we don't know singing Zip and you know right when the original would be a re, was a reporter. One thing, do you, you know the song "Plant You Now, Dig You Later" mm-hmm. um, from the second act? Yeah. So and you know, I love this song. I think it's a very cute song. Mm-hmm. It's basically. Um, a man and a woman kind of having no interest in each other and saying, plant you now, dig you later, like catch you later. Um, And I think it's also an example of when I say like the whole point of the pal Joey original stories was the language, like plant you now, dig you later. But anyway, my biggest mystery, even more than does Joey end up with Linda or not, is what the hell is plant you now, dig you later? Because in the version we saw, they just give it like 60 seconds. And they yeah. do it as a dance number on stage, which is, I'm sure that's not what it is. These are characters. Right, because right? in the recording I listened to, it was a full song. Yes, and a, quite a good song. I think it's one of my favorite songs on the mm-hmm. album. Um, and it's got characters. It's not Joey, and it's not Vera, and it's not Linda, I don't mm-hmm. think. So I'm wondering, is it Gladys Bump? Is it the manager? You know, is it the drummer? I don't know. So little potato, stay right where you are. Plant you now, dig you later. Means all revoir, just all revoir. I know your time is money, and though you leave me sunny, we'll have a future honeymoon. Right now, it's time to start your I'll keep deep in my heart your all for me, all for me soon. Where's the check? Get me the waiter. I'm not gonna stay. And now, dig you later. I'm on. 
in the other version, the Christine Andreas version, I was so disappointed. They also just botched that song and they did it also as a staged number, you know, a song within the show. Right. So instead of seeing characters sing those lyrics as part of the story, we're seeing it as a stage number. So I'm dying to know what, what was the original purpose of the song, Plant You Now, Dig You Later? Who are these two people who are saying goodbye to each other? So I do think that what's going on in Plant You Now, Dig You Later is that two of the people who hang around the night, who work at the nightclub, the singer Gladys and the singer Lowell, mm-hmm. um, are, are blackmailing Joey. Mm-hmm. Or, or they're, they're coming up with some scheme. And yeah. But I'm just curious why. I mean, the, the words are so funny to me. Like, right. I, I don't know. Um, like why are they saying these words I don't know right I'm sure there's some if you know someone out there if you know what (laughs) yes somebody emails you Shoshana please tell me yeah Um, let us know someone who's a lot uh, specifically a Cal Joey historian (laughs) and uh, we can figure it out but maybe it makes it a cooler experience that we'll never know like we we're you know, we only have our imagination of what the show actually is, so we construct right. it in our own head. I do have to mention my favorite song is "You You Mustn't Kick It Around." I haven't oh. even mentioned. I so this is the opening song. That is like my theme song in life. I don't know why. I don't even know what it means, but <laughs> it's his opening song on the album, uh-huh. and he's basically just just saying like, um, "Chill out, everybody." Like mm-hmm. stop kicking stuff around. That's what I think it means. I don't know what does. What do you think that song means? Because I don't even know what it's supposed to mean. It's like if my heart gets in your hair, you mustn't kick it around. I think he's basically saying if I have a romance with you, don't get too don't get too involved. <laughs> I have the worst apprehension That you don't crave my attention But I can't force you to change your taste If you don't care to be nice, dear Then give me air, but not ice, dear Don't let a good fellow go to waste For this little sin that you commit at leisure You'll repent in heart gets in your hair, you mustn't kick it around. If you're bored with this affair, you mustn't kick it around. Even though I'm mild and meek when we have a brawl, if I turn the other cheek, you mustn't kick it at all. When I try to ring the bell, you never care for the sound. The next guy may not do as well. But I just love the attitude. It's a very, it's just a very upbeat, like snappy. I actually play it on guitar and it's just a fun song. Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean by like to kick it, to kick it? (laughs) I think he means like maybe talk about it to your friends, like make a big deal about it. Like you mustn't kick, like if I, if I piss you off, don't Uh make a big deal about it. Like kick it around would be like kick it around the nightclub, tell everybody. Mm -hmm. I don't know but again i'm making that up in my head because like in the version we saw they do it as a staged number i think like right. he sings it as a staged number but i like to imagine that he's not singing it as a staged number 
I like to imagine that he's singing it as Joey. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess yeah. in the intro, if you don't care to be nice, dear, then give me air, but not ice, but not dear. Ice, dear. Isn't that cool? Give yeah. me air, but like in other words, yeah, I think that is saying he's basically saying, if you're not into me, give me space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh, I don't oh, need your like, bad attitude. Don't, don't um, what's the phrase? Don't play, don't play around with me. I maybe yeah. like don't like if you're not interested in me, don't like you know string me, don't string me along. Maybe. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Ice could also mean, oh, you're right. Ice could also mean like he wants to make out with her and she's not interested. She's cold as ice. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it just shows how much ambiguity, ambiguity. Yeah. I, I was thinking he's like, you know, don't, don't like give me air. I mean, give me space. Don't be cold to me. Just, but yeah, I like your way actually. I also want to mention this is jazz. Not, you know, not like improvisational jazz, not like Coltrane jazz, but this mm -hmm. is like 30s jazz. Like it's it's brassy, bold, um, it's swinging, it's mm -hmm. syncopated, you know, the whole thing. And Richard Rogers, I don't think ever wrote jazz before or after. Yeah. I think this is as jazz, and that's because it's Chicago, because it's the song, because it's the setting. Right. Um, like to me, a song like that terrific rainbow it's the number like the strippers are singing on stage. Oh. This is Gladys Knight singing. I'm a red hot mama. I guess I, I can't think of any other Broadway musical that hits the jazz thread, you know, as well as this does, like, yeah. to me. Again, not jazz in the 1950s forward sense, but like early, you know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it is cool, like, how they really lean into Chicago as, you know, as mm -hmm. There's yeah, like a whole there's like a whole subgenre of like of musicals set in Chicago, I guess that uh, <laughs> utilize yeah, I mean, Chicago yeah. sounds and yeah. This is actually really relevant, and the great migration of African Americans from the South to Chicago. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I say jazz, I'm actually not really using the right word. I should say jazz and blues. Mm -hmm. Like that terrific rainbow, in a way, is like a blues, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's both jazz and blues. Um, 
and yeah, yeah, there's a real feeling of jazz and blues. And I think that is because Chicago was where the great migration happened. So, you know, unfortunately it's not a racially diverse show that I've ever seen. Um, So an African-American cast of Pal Joey, oh my God, I'm ready. Well, let's uh, move on to our uh, why is this so good section. We'll still talk, be talking about Pal Joey. So we're going to focus in on Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered. Um, the song that I knew before knowing the show. Mm-hmm. So yeah, why did you pick this song for Why Is This So Good? I do think, um, even though You Mustn't Kick It Around is kind of my personal favorite, there's no question that Bewitched is like the great song on the mm-hmm. album because it you know, it was a big hit. Um, I also knew the song before I knew the um, anything else about the show. And it is sometimes called Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, but I call it Bewitched. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me just read the first lyrics. Mm-hmm. So she, she, um, they're waking, as we saw it with Stockard Channing, I loved the way Stockard Channing did this. They are waking up in the morning, as the lyrics say, they've been drinking and, and doing it all night and they're feeling great. Um, and you're, you're hungover, but you also feel great because you had a great time last night. Um, and so, you know, it's funny, like when you ask what is a special moment that a musical theater work gets to as one of your get to know you questions, this is like, this captures that feeling of when you wake up in the morning with a hangover, but you just had a great night. So yeah. here's the lyrics. After one whole quart of brandy, like a daisy, I'm awake with no bromer, with no bromo seltzer handy. I don't even shake. Men are not a new sensation. I've done pretty well, I think. But this half pint imitation put me on the blink. After one whole quart of brandy, like a daisy, I awake. With no promo seltzer handy, I don't even shake. Men are not a new sensation. I've done pretty well, I think. But this half pint imitation put me on the blink. So the half pint imitation being Joey. Like yeah. basically, she's she had a great night. You know, she's feeling great, even though she's hungover. Um, and she knows he's a loser. You know, this half pint imitation. She knows he's not a great dancer. I don't know what half pint means. Does that mean he's small? I don't know. I think the whole song stays in that vibe. If you think about the melody, um, it's a walking up melody. I'm not going to try to sing it, um, but the notes walk up at a very gentle, steady pace, and they walk up in a sort of simple way. Like the melody, which it's beautiful, but it's also, I think you almost feel like it's too simple. Like you hear it once, you totally get this melody. It's almost, almost too simple um, and I think in a way that reflects the tired feeling of waking up in the, in a sort of drowsy, dreamy state, mm-hmm. it's a sort of dreamy melody, um, because it's so simple and it's also, it basically just hits every note on the scale. Like we're not all over the scale. We're just, we're just climbing up the scale, which is like, it's kind of like you're too, you're too hungover to do anything but climb up the stairs. So you're too drunk to do it, you know, too hungover to do anything but climb up the scale is kind of how I see it. Um, So you you feel this just lazy, 
but it's very pleasant. It's a very, it's a happy song. She's, she's deeply moved by her relationship with him, even at the same time that she knows it's not true love and she knows it's not going to last forever. So she's bewitched, she's bothered, she's bewildered, and she loves it. Um, and, you know, later in, the, later in the lyrics, there's a lot of different lyrics. And this yeah. is another Rosetta Stone situation. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, there's a Linda Ronstadt version that I really like. Mm-hmm. I would recommend listening to the lyrics that Linda Ronstadt sings. I think Patti Lapone sings the same lyrics. Stocker Channing actually um, leaves off a verse or two, doesn't do it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure why, but, but she does do it sitting in bed barefoot, you know, um, like sitting on her knees sort of. And it's just to me, very, very moving. I think also for me, it's that, that triple rhyme with like the third rhyme, like a little delayed from mm. like, I'm wild again, yes. wild again, a simpering, whimpering child again. Like you're, you're right. It, the the first two are right next to each other, but then you have to like wait for the third one to come, and it's just so satisfying every time. Actually, in that verse, there's another like internal rhyme that doesn't have the simpering, whimpering that doesn't right. happen the other times. I'm wild again, beguiled again, a simpering, whimpering child again. Bewitched, and bewildered am I Couldn't sleep and wouldn't sleep Until I could sleep where I shouldn't sleep Bewitched, bothered and bewildered am I I mean, triple rhymes are just so great when they work and this one just like they always flow really well. I'll mm-hmm. spring to him and long for the day when I'll cling to him. Um, and it's always like the dun to the dun to the yes, right, which is also very lulling. Um, yes, exactly that dreamy feeling. Yeah, and it's you know it's also sensual. I feel that 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 pace that pace is something very personal, like. You almost feel like it's because, and they are in bed together when she's mm-hmm. singing. Like she's sort of re-experiencing the good sex they had last night. You right. know, as, as she's singing. That's definitely what I think. Is she's thinking of. She's thinking about that. Yeah. Um, and that's what she's communicating in the in the meter and the, the melody. Yeah, and then there's the other verses, the da, 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 the the starting bridge. Verses. Yeah. They also, yeah, they also keep coming back. Those are like the thinking sections, and the other ones are like the dreamy section, like the. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Wait, the like, bridge. He's being self-conscious. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Or well, what? like he's a fool, and don't I know it? Yes. You right. know, but like she's thinking through the situation. I'm in love, and don't I show it? like a babe in arms that leads into well then she goes loves the same old sad sensation lately i've not slept a wink like so those thinking sections kind of like lead into the very interesting how yeah you're right be where she's bewitched bothered and bewildered (laughs) right exactly i also want to say those three words those three words 
bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. Like, oh my God, like what did Lorenz Hart do when he wrote that down? Like he must've been like, oh man, like this is gonna be a great song. And I mean, it's not that it's easy to write a song right. with those three words, but it's so, you, you immediately get the emotion. It's almost like, you know, I was saying before, like the play has very few peaks and valleys. This is probably, this is the emotional peak mm-hmm. when she's just so happy. She's just so happy. And you like her so much that you want her to be happy. And yet what she describes herself as is bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. I think also the word bothered is funny. Like, I don't know. It's funny that that could be a good thing to be bothered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and we have any, there's also the the actual B section, like, um, that part. Lost my heart, but what of it? My mistake, I agree. He's a laugh, but I love it because the laugh's on me. A pill he is, but still he. Also, like a, that. I guess that's the the actual B section of the song. The other the uh, other part is like a little verse intro that keeps coming back is b section what i would call a bridge yeah okay yeah i know you're a musical theater writer which i am not i think the form of this song i mean again i'm looking at one random lyric combination here but i think the form of the song is like intro a which is like the bewitched bother than bewildered section two a's uh, then the, a bridge or a B section, the lost my heart, but what of it? Maybe this is a case of a song where the, the first, the first like 60 seconds just moved me so much that the rest of the song, I'm just totally. Mm-hmm. Bought. Yeah. I think the intro is doing what an intro should do. I mean, yeah. Like really setting you up to go on her emotional journey, which is why those, that those intro verses are so, as I said, like so much of her thought process. Um, yeah. So it like puts you inside her head so you can be with her when she goes, you know, right. into the- It's very personal and it brings, yeah, it brings you into her. Yeah. And then that B section is, is kind of back a little bit more to her thoughts, lost my heart, but what of it, you know? But uh, he is cold. I agree. He can laugh, but I love it. Although the laughs on me, which is like isn't so that great? Uh, great although the laughs on me. Yeah, <laughs> she's going in and out. If there's like a struggle, there's like a little tug of war within her about this situation, and I tug of war is a good phrase. Yeah, and the song kind of has that feeling of a tug of war. Yeah, I I think that's why you know people love to sing this song what either they're just like love the melody it's a beautiful melody because it's richard rogers or they that it's i've never performed it but it must be a great song to act um yes with what we've been talking about i mean and as we said soccer channing did a, a great job with it in the production we saw yeah and i like it that it was a hit it makes me feel good that this song so complex and so full of meaning mm-hmm. was like a total like radio hit like you know when our ancestors went out to mm-hmm. you know whatever that place was on the top of rockefeller center i'm forgetting the name you know went out to some nightclub in the 40s or the 60s 
they would hear Bewitched. You know, yeah. the, the orchestra would strike up Bewitched and the singer would sing it. Vexed again, perplexed again. Thank God I can be oversexed again. Bewitched, bothered and bewildered. Am I? Well, great. Um, let's move on to our final section something wonderful where we just talk about something um you know in the musical theater world that we are excited about uh coming up or something recent that we've experienced that we want to give a shout out to cool um i will mention something coming up um I will be slightly curmudgeonly and say, I don't always love what Broadway musicals are doing. I'm so sick of um, movies being turned into musicals. I have no interest in seeing a 1980s comedy as a Broadway musical. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, so I kind of switched my allegiance about 30 blocks uptown mm -hmm. to a little place called the Metropolitan Opera. So um, I've, I've, I actually lately find the experience of going to the Met just more pleasing and you know it's the same price it's just you know there was a great lucia and what made it great is they updated it to 2022 in a rust belt um oh. city in a very downtrodden kind of immigrant mm -hmm. um possibly undocumented um community yeah. hispanic um and that's how they did lucia and nadine sierra was so great I saw it and I saw it last season and then I, it was so good. I also watched the Met play it on film. So it is on video. Okay. Try to see this. Okay. I think you'll be blown away. It was very controversial because they updated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I like, I like when they update stuff. Yeah. So to answer your question, um, what I'm looking forward to this season, you yeah. know, the Mets, the Mets seasons are basically September through about May. Mm -hmm. um, this season is going to be a real Mozart fest um i'm about to see edomineo mm -hmm. his his greek myth the other two things that are happening this season with mozart are a new version of don giovanni and a new saba float yeah i i mean i'm excited about i hope i get to see the hours um ah yeah with um renee fleming mm -hmm. joyce d donato and kelly o'hara yeah i mean what it's such that? a great trio of them yes uh, i mean i i hope i don't i think they're all in different time periods but i'm assuming that there's going to be a trio where they're all singing together thank you all for listening to this episode of scene to song you can write to scene to song at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater or if you'd like to be a podcast guest Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at Scene2Song, and on Facebook at scene to song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scene2song.substack.com and contribute to the new Patreon. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And be sure to check back in two weeks for our next episode. <laughs>